Welcome to the sermon podcast for Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Central South Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from the Word of God, and we pray that God will both bless you and speak to you as you listen and apply His Word to your life. There's a weight that must be lifted. There's a trophy to be won. Now, look, if you would, in your Bible in Exodus 20, in, in verse 20. We're going to read that in just a moment, but let me go ahead and give a open in prayer, and then we will dive into God's Word and the thoughts that I believe God would have me to share with you tonight. Dear Father, we do thank you for your many blessings. God, we thank you for the gifts that you give, the opportunities you give, the, just the, the shower of goodness that you pour upon us. And God, I thank you that we can be here in your house tonight. I thank you that we can be here gathering around your word tonight and in your presence. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would bless us, that you would motivate us, that you would have a word for us tonight. We pray for Marianne and Jimmy. I think of Elaine. Thank you that she's been doing better. I think of, of, of Sam and his recovery from his surgery. Uh, Father, I think of Cheryl and recovering from cancer and her treatments for cancer. And Father, uh, there's many others that were on Facebook today, Father, that just I pray that you would touch those needs as well, requests that were mentioned to me. And God, I pray that you would speak to our heart tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look now in Exodus 20, because I've got to go quickly if I'm going to get through this tonight. Exodus 20 and verse 20. I'm entitling this, Fear, a Key for Our Journey. Fear, a Key for Our Journey. You say, well, that's an odd thing to have as a key for the future. Look at me in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. Moses said to the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear, or fear of him, may be before your faces, that ye sin not. Fear not, don't be afraid, for the fear of God, but have a fear of God. That's the two, th two fears. Don't be afraid, but have a fear of God. You said, that sounds confusing. I'm going to explain in just a moment. First, let me try to help you understand some things. People often ask me, why do you spend so much time in the Old Testament, especially lately? I've had some people ask me, you know, the Old Testament, is that really for us? Well, I want you to understand some things about the Old Testament. Number one, the Old Testament is the Word of God. It is every bit the Word of God that the New Testament is the Word of God. All 66 books of the Old and New Testament, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New, make up the Word of God. And from Genesis 1-1 until Revelation 22, and let me just double check my verse on what that is, because off the top of my head I don't remember, but 22 verse 21, that is the inspired Word of God, and it is perfect and it is profitable for us today. And there are people who say, well, we're a New Testament church. Well, we are a New Testament church. We're a church of the New Testament. We are the instrument of God's operation is done through his people, which in this New Testament age is the New Testament church. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament is not profitable for us. It is not important for us to us, important for us to, uh, for us. And so therefore, I want you to understand that and see that. So read it. Don't be afraid of it. 
But understand this, the Old Testament is a history. It is a history lesson. It's a history of civilization. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, it is a uh, history of the call of God's people. Uh, when God called Abraham and go to the land that I'm going to show you of, it's a history of the covenant of God's people with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And then after the Exodus with Moses and the people of Israel, when he gave them the law and the Ten Commandments, it is a history of that. It's a history of the monarchy as far as when King Saul and King David and King Solomon began, the, well, King Saul began the monarchy that was, it was a theocracy in uh, following God, but then Israel, despite God's warnings, uh, called a king, named a king, King Saul, and became a monarchy, and it's a history of the first three kings, and then the division of the kingdom, a civil war that takes place, the northern ten tribes of Israel, the southern two tribes of the nation of Judah, and the directions they go, and what happens to them. It's a history of the monarchy and of the divided kingdom. It's a history of what's called the diaspora. You say, well, what is that? Well, it's the Jewish dispersion. It's the exile. Northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, both were taken into exile. We read more in some ways, we're more familiar with the southern tribe or southern nation of Judah because we read of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They were of the southern nation of Judah. Uh, but we read about the diaspora and we also read about the remnant, the return of Ezra and Nehemiah. And even Esther is taking place during some of this. And then, of course, the books of Daniel uh, tells about some of this. And so, therefore, we are reading of that history. It's also a book of warning and prophecy, meaning the fact that there are the prophets. Now, first of all, there is the, the priest, but then there's the first prophet, which is really Samuel, who also was a priest. Uh, but Samuel... Uh, be begins warning King Saul and King David, um, choosing King David, and beginning to advise and preach and warn and challenge the people. And then, of course, you read about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We read about all those. And I may have said Jonah. I don't know if I got them all or not. But it's a book of prophecy, prophecy of what was going to happen if the nation of Israel did not continued in rebelling against God. Uh, prophecy about what would happen with the coming Messiah and the end times. And so, therefore, they foretold coming events, the Messiah, the end times. But also it's a book of encouragement. It's a book of wisdom. You know, Job and Psalms in particular. Job, is a, is, we often look at it as a sad story. It's a man whose life became a disaster, but it's a good story and an encouraging story because God restored Job. Psalm is full of prayers and praise, and it's a, an encouragement. Although there is times of talk of, of, of fear in Psalms, it's fear that turns to trust in God. And there's a book, of course, it's wisdom. Proverbs, no chapters, and throughout the Bible there is wisdom. But that's what the Old Testament is, and we need to understand that. It's, it's, it is a book of history, 
of wisdom, of prophecy, of encouragement, of instruction, of warning. That's what the Old Testament is. It's profitable for us. You say, well, what are you getting to? Well, let me continue. It's also the gospel hidden in the pages therein. You've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it again here, and that is that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. For example, we read about redemption. We read about interceding. We read about uh, salvation that come in faith and grace and mercy in the Old Testament, but we read about the prophecies of the Messiah that would come. It was all in a shadow. A, a, it was all hidden to a certain extent. And until you get to the New Testament, that where you then see the Old Testament revealed and you realize how connected the two really are, and you can go back and you can read the gospel, you can read the New Testament, but the gospel in particular, and then you go back and you read the history of Israel and you see the images of Christ, the images of God's love, the images of God's redemption through the sacrificial lambs in the Old Testament. And so, therefore, it's a beautiful picture that we need to understand. It was a shadow of what was to come. It had literal events in it, and it's a history. It also has, along with it, in parallel to it, symbolism. Some of the things that we see that were historical events are also symbols and pictures of what was to come that we then see explained in the New Testament. For example... There are things like that we would that these now these are they're not super deep terms, but let me just go ahead and give you some. A type of Christ. You say, well, what is a type of Christ? It was a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, the angel of the Lord is a type of Christ. It was a picture of Christ. In fact, it may have very well been Christ's presence, uh named the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. But also Adam. Adam was a type of Christ. He was the first man, the first physical man, but also the picture of Christ to come, who was the first spiritual man. There was Noah's Ark, which was a picture of salvation. Destruction and judgment and condemnation came and destroyed everything except for those that were in the Ark. And so therefore the Ark was the salvation of Noah's family, just as Jesus Christ is the salvation of the sinner. And if we are in Christ, just as Noah was in the ark, we are saved from the judgment of God, which was the flood of the Old Testament, which is hell in the New Testament, or today, or at the end will be hell in the lake of fire. Uh, Joseph was a type of Christ. He was a picture of Christ. He was sent, he was sold out for 30 pieces of silver, just as Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, but also he was uh, used to save God's people, Israel, Jacob's family. In fact, the rest of the world, if they came to him, found salvation because he had the plan of how to save the rest of the world. Jesus Christ is the plan for salvation. He is the man of salvation. You see his type of Christ. Moses was a type of Christ. 
this doesn't mean that they were Christ. Please don't misunderstand. But Moses was leading the people just as Christ leads us. Moses led the people out of Egypt just as Christ leads us out of the sinful world and the sin nature that we are in. And we are journeying to glory one day. They were journeying to the promised land. Moses was leading them. Christ leads us. But also, as you read and where you have been reading, you've been seeing the intercession of Moses between, uh, between God and the people stood Moses. And Jesus intercedes on our behalf today. Jesus stands between us and God. And when God looks upon us, he sees his son and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When God looked upon the people, Moses would stand in between and he would, uh, for Moses' sake, have mercy on the people and grace for the people. And just like for Christ's sake, he does the same for us. And so there are pictures or types of Christ. In the Old Testament, we also see that there are other symbols and pictures. This is why it's so important. And this is getting to where I'm leading to because we are talking about, in our reading, going from Egypt to the promised land and taking possession of the promised land. So therefore, we need to understand that one of the pictures, a major picture in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is of Egypt. And Egypt pictured the secular world, or you might say the sinful world, a lost world, um, a picture of sin in and of itself, really. And so, therefore, when you understand that, people were delivered from sin, from the sinful world. They were called out to be separate, just as we as Christians are called out to be separate. And the people often wanted to go back in, in the Old Testament, to Egypt. Every time trouble came along, let us just go back. And sometimes as Christians, we just want to give up and go back to the old way of living, the old life, and just let's put aside this Christianity, just much easier going back to the ways of the world. And so therefore you see where God is telling the people of Israel, don't go back. Don't go back, nor are we to go back to the ways of the world. Now, what is a picture? And by the way, another picture of sin is yeast. Yeast is a picture of sin in many places in the Bible. That is why in the Passover, they were not to have yeast in their bread. Unleavened bread was part of that. And later we read about yeast, not having any yeast in your house during the Passover because it was a picture of sin and you were to purge that sin out. Also, you see the blood on the doorposts the lentil in the doorpost, the blood of the lamb, is a picture of Christ on the cross. He was the lamb of God. He was the perfect lamb, and his blood was shed for us for the remission of sin. The lamb at the Passover, blood was shed, and it marked the homes. It marked the lives of the people that lived in those houses. And then when they, their house was marked, the angel of death would pass over and the judgment would not come. Just as when our lives are marked by the blood, washed by the blood, the judgment of God does not come. Now, very quickly, I want you to see this. Okay, now, so the promised land. There are some that say, well, the promised land is a picture of heaven. Well, it can't be a picture of heaven in my mind because 
the people of Israel, they left the way of the world. They left sinful Egypt. They were not to go back. And they journeyed to the promised land. Now, they had troubles. They had trials. They had failures. They had challenges on the way. And people say, well, that's why the promised land, it's a land of rest. It's when you're saved. Well, I'm sorry, a picture of heaven, rather. Well, it can't be a picture of heaven because there's still work to do when you got to the land of promise. They still had to drive out the enemy. And you say, well, that was when they conquered the land. That was a picture of heaven. Well, that can't be because later they rebelled against God and they were exiled out of the promised land and spread out over the face of the earth. And we don't lose our salvation once we're truly saved. So what is it? Well, I think it's simply the journey to the land of Canaan and the conquering of the land of Canaan is a picture of our life's journey. I think that's the best way to look at it. God, when we, when we leave Egypt, God did signs and wonders in our lives and we left Egypt, we crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. He made a way for us when we were trapped by the Red Sea, when we were trapped by sin and the devil and sin was crushing down upon us, God opened up the Red Sea and made a way for the people of Israel and, Je and God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to make a way for us to get to him and be saved. And so therefore, I think the journey, when you leave Egypt, that is a picture of salvation. But even once you're saved, there's times you want to, you don't lose your salvation, but you want to go back to the old ways. I want to go back to the enticing things of Egypt. Okay? And so that's the picture that we're seeing. You say, well, what does anything have to do with fear? I'm getting to that. I promise, and I'll be done. But when we leave Egypt, and cross over the Red Sea, that's a picture of salvation. God did what only God can do and made a way. God did on the cross through Jesus Christ what only God can do and make a way. And then they journeyed through, and God gave instructions for the journey, and God gave instructions for the conquering of the land. That can't be a picture of salvation because there's trouble along the way, and when you get to Canaan, you're still having challenges and troubles, even though you're saved. So the salvation has to begin back when crossing out of the Red Sea, across the Red Sea. Now, what is Canaan when it's conquered? I think that is when we reach a point in our life of spiritual maturity. And some of us struggle to ever do it. Struggle to drive out the enemy. Struggle to drive out the sin out of our life. We'll never do it perfectly, nor did Israel. But it still can't, the promised land can't be a picture of salvation in and of itself because people were then exiled out of the Canaan land, promised land, that God had given them. And we, again, we don't lose our salvation, nor do we get kicked out of heaven nor do we have work, as we think of it, enemies in heaven. So it can't be heaven. The land of promise can't be salvation of itself. But I think it's more a picture of spiritual maturity where you can have rest and confidence in the fact that, listen, I've got some spiritual maturity about me. But if you don't remain diligent and vigilant, 
you still have battles with sin and therefore and battles with enemies and therefore Israel did have those problems because they turned their back on God but there was time in Solomon for example in particular where there is great peace you say well, what does any of that have to do with fear because fear is both what we struggle with along the way and fear is also the key to overcoming our fears that we struggle with. We say, Preacher, that did not make any sense. I want you to see something very quickly. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Fear not, but be afraid. Or the fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord. And now look over with me in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. And look in verse, I think it's 18 and 19. No. Yes, 18 and 19. As you're going through your challenge, you find even verse 17. If thou shalt say in thy heart, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? That the How am I going to make it through this life? This life is so hard. Sin, the devil, the world, it's a challenge. The Israelites had a challenge along the way. They were, there were times of great need of manna and quail and water and protection and healing from plagues and diseases. There were needs along the way. We have needs along the way. There are things for them to be afraid of along the way. There are things in our life that we're afraid of along the way. But God said, here's the thing. Don't be afraid. Now, don't be afraid. He was telling the Israelites, don't be afraid of the challenges. Don't be afraid of the journey. Don't be afraid of uh, of the enemies and the, uh, the, the armies that you're going to face, even though they're bigger than you, even though they're more than you, even though they're greater than you, stronger than you, don't be afraid. In fact, in fact, let me get to the nuts of this very quickly, and I'm going to be brief, and I'm going to be done with this part, but I want you to understand, and I'm going to post, when I repost this video, when I edit it down, I'm going to put it on Facebook. I'm going to put it, I also put it on the, I will put it on the website. So if you go look at the video, there'll be a description in the video. Uh, in the Like if you click on the information in the video, it'll give you a little synopsis. I'm going to put all these references there. I'm going to put them also on social media so that you can see them. Because did you know from the time that the Israelites, God called Moses to lead them out of Egypt until they cross over into the promised land. Just go that far in, jo in Joshua. Joshua 1, or actually Joshua 1, 9. That the God says, listen to this, ready for this? Watch this now. 19 times God says, don't be afraid, fear not. Don't fear them. That phrase or some form of that phrase, 19 times 
You ready? I'm not reading to you very quickly. You won't have time to write them down. I'm going to give them to you. But just so you know, Exodus 9.30, Exodus 14.13, Exodus 20.20, Numbers 14.9, again in Numbers 14.9, Numbers 21.34, Leviticus 26.6, Deuteronomy 1.21, Deuteronomy 1.29, Deuteronomy 3.2, 3.22, 7.18, 18.22, 21, 21.6 again, 31.8, and Joshua 1.9. 19 times God says, don't be afraid. Now, if God says it that many times, as I've told you before, when you see a phrase over and over again, take note. Don't be afraid on your journey. Don't be afraid of your needs. Don't be afraid of what you lack. Don't be afraid of the enemies. Don't be afraid of the path. Don't be afraid. He said, well, how am I not going to be afraid? Well, how you're not going to be afraid is replacing that fear of what you might face with the fear of God. Now, fear of God is not talking, and by the way, neither is the fear these, these 19 times, always talking about cowering in fear. It's talking about just don't be intimidated. Don't give don't give, don't give an awe to what you're about to face. Don't be afraid to face it. But fear me. Now, fearing God is not shaking in fear. It's not trepidation. Although if we're disobedient, it might lead to it to understand that, hey, God is God. But it's talking about a respect, an acknowledgement of his power. And so, therefore, in 2020, when we saw, don't be afraid, but fear God, watch this now. I told you 19 times in that, in, in between, between Exodus 9.30 and Joshua 1.9, 19 times, don't be afraid. But did you know that in between uh, Exodus 18.21 and Joshua 4.24, the same section of Scripture, 21 times God says, or we're instructed to, fear the Lord. Fear God. In other words, respect for Him. So here's what we've got to do. We've got to understand who God is, how big He is, what He can do, His power, His might, His righteousness, His love for us, His adoption of us, He's going with us. We acknowledge all that, and if I know that, then I don't have to be afraid. And you say, well, how do I know all that and, and develop that? Well, let me just fill you in on this really quick. Deuteronomy 7, 18 and 19. If thou shalt, 17, if thou shalt say that hard, these nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Here's how. Thou shalt not be afraid of them, don't fear not, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The way you develop a fear of God is understand what God can do. Understand who God is. And so then verse 19, the great temptations which thine eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm whereby the Lord thy God brought thee out, so shall the Lord thy God do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. You want to know how to get over your fear? Have a fear of God. How do you have a fear of God? Know him. Know 
know his character, know his love, know his power, know his works, know his miracles. Oh, my friends, when we get to know God, and by the way, know his ways, it takes away our fear. You only have so much room in your life. Room for the world, room for God. You only have so much room for fear. Fear of the world, fear of sin, fear of death, fear of Satan, fear of sin, fear of challenges, fear of loss, or I can fear God. Now, they're a little bit different. I don't have to cower in fear over here. I very well may, but my point is this. Fear is the key to our journey. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow. I don't have to be afraid of the future because I know who knows the future. I don't have to be afraid of the world because I know that the world is in his hand. I don't have to worry about what's going to come to me and plague me today because my Bible says that Jesus is an overcomer. And because I'm in Jesus, I too am an overcomer. And Jesus has overcome the world. I have nothing to be afraid of. And so when my hope, when my faith when my all is in Jesus Christ, there is nothing to fear other than my respect for him. You get it? The Old Testament is so important. Christian, don't neglect the Old Testament. My friend, if you say, well, the Old Testament is hard for me to read. I got news for you. There's some stuff in the New Testament that's hard to read. Dive in. And let God be faithful. You be faithful to him. Have a fear, a respect, an acknowledgement of who he is. Identifying what he can do and what he has done in your life. And allow that respect to drive away the fears that we ought not to have. Fear not, but fear God. Fear, a key for your journey. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us tonight. I pray that you would help us tomorrow. I pray that you would help us not to live in fear of the world and of sin and of trouble and of trial and tribulation and persecution and the devil and all the things we might say we might be afraid of. If we understand you and acknowledge you and respect you and have a fear of you, there will be no room for fear for anything else. Allow our fear of you to consume us, I pray, and drive out the sin and the fear that the devil would provide so that we can have peace in the land of promise. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, I love you. More importantly, God loves you. Turn your eyes on him. We thank you for listening to this message from the Word of God. At Pleasant Hill, we desire to be a help and a blessing to you. If you have any questions or prayer requests, or if we can be a help to you in your walk with God, we invite you to contact us here at Pleasant Hill by visiting our website at phbc.com.
dot online. Thank you, and may God bless you. Till I cross.